Um, well, it's good to be here. Uh, choir, I just want to let you know that in congregation too, like tears started to, to well up in my eyes just thinking of, of the beauty of that song. Um, Though I have nothing, come. It's a powerful thought. And a lot of powerful things this time of year to think about. And we're talking about joy. And honestly, sometimes we get to this time of the year and we struggle um, with this time because it's like we've heard it all before. We think about, well, what's the new angle that we can view, uh, the lens that we can view the Christmas story through? The Christmas story is so very familiar to us. And that's a good thing. You know, we're familiar with the virgin birth and the humble surroundings of the birth of Jesus. We're familiar with, you know, the, the turmoil that probably resided in Joseph's heart and the profound sense of wonder that resided in Mary's. We're aware of the lowly shepherds abiding in fields, keeping their watch of their flocks at night. We know of Caesar's census and we know of the heartlessness of Herod as he sought to slaughter babies born in Bethlehem. And if you've been around the church for any time, you probably know some, if not most, of the details of the story. And that honestly puts us in quite a precarious situation because we can become so familiar to the story that we grow calloused to its message. And those tears don't start to well up in our eye ducts when we think about these wonders, right? And we considered that last week when we looked at the idea of the love that God demonstrated by sending His own Son into the world, not to condemn it, but to save it, that's a message that can't just go in one ear or the other. Like I heard that one before. So now we find ourselves in the fourth week of Advent, like we're one week away from Christmas. Just want to let you know that, just in case you haven't shopped yet, right? We're one week away, and we've already talked about the hope of Christ's first and second coming. We've talked about the peace that He can bring to our lives right now, and that will be fully realized when He comes again. And we asked and answered a set of questions last week about love. And today, we come face to face with a somewhat of an elusive reality, and that is the reality of joy. You hear a lot about joy these days, that little three-letter word joy. It, like, it, it's everywhere. You'll see it. What is it? And we can't afford to blow this message off as if we had some sort of, I've heard that before mentality. And so with that sense of urgency, I'm going to ask one of the gospel writers, the gospel of Luke, Luke the physician who accurately recorded a true narrative of Jesus about his unique take on joy. And so today, what we're going to do is we're going to travel together through the entire gospel of Luke and look at every occurrence of the word joy that we find in his gospel. And we're going to do that so that we can understand and define what joy is. And at the end of the day, we're going to find out who in the room actually has it. Who has that joy? And so I'm going to call it an experience toward, or a journey toward the experience of lasting joy. And, and I, I want to tell you guys something. I had so much fun last summer at Vacation Bible School with the train theme that I brought my train whistle again here today, all right? So listen to this thing. All right, that's just to keep you awake today, all right? So I know it might get annoying, and I don't want you to get annoyed at me, so I'm going to give it to my kids, and they're not going to annoy you, right? So I'm going to give this down to Asher and Elijah, and every stop in the Gospel of Luke, we're going to have Elijah do this. Can we see what it sounds like? There you go. Yeah, or, and they're going to pass it back and forth between he and Asher, Okay. So this is a train trip uh, to the experience of lasting joy. Um, 
And this is going to be a wake-up call for us. We're going to take a train trip toward the experience of lasting joy, and Luke is going to be the engineer, and I'm going to be like the conductor that attempts to help the passengers with whatever they need while on the journey. So all aboard, the first stop is chapter one. You ready? Chapter one? Very good. Let's give it up for our, uh, our twin whistler. All right? You're going to hear that a lot today, okay? Chapter one. At this first stop, we're actually going to see two occurrences of the word joy. Starting in chapter 1, verse 14, it says this, And you will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth. This is the first occurrence of the word joy, and it's spoken to a guy by the name of Zechariah. Zechariah was just told that he would have a son, and because of that son, he would experience, the Greek word is kara, which is joy, and that many will experience Cairo, which is they will be able to rejoice because of his son's birth. It's the same word. One is used as a noun and one is used as a verb. So think about the word dance in English. If I say to you, I can't wait to dance at the dance this upcoming weekend, I'm using it as a noun and I'm using it as a verb. It's the same thing here for Zechariah. Zechariah is going to have joy... And he will possess whatever this wonderful word is, and countless others will be able to possess and express their ability to rejoice when Zachariah's boy is born. And so later on in this chapter, what we're going to see is this. In verse 58, it says this, And her, speaking of Elizabeth, when Elizabeth's neighbors and relatives heard that the Lord had shown her great mercy, they rejoiced with her. This baby boy, who would be named John by his parents, and who was known as John the Baptist later on in life by the broader community, paved the way for another baby that would be born, who was the actual source of joy. Because look at this fascinating verse in Luke 1.44. This is Elizabeth speaking to Mary. For behold, when the sound of your greeting came into my ears, the baby in my womb leapt for joy. So what happens is we, it's really important that you see the logic here. When we see the word joy here in verse 44, Zechariah's wife utilizes it to describe what happened in her room, her womb, not room, womb, right? When she heard Mary's voice, when Elizabeth heard the voice of the one who was actually carrying redemption in her womb, the baby in Elizabeth's womb leapt for joy. So this tells me, this is where the logic goes. Listen to this. The source of Zechariah and Elizabeth's joy was leaning upon the joyful thought of having a baby, right? But their baby was leaning upon another baby for his joy, and that baby was the baby that was in Mary's womb. So in chapter 1, this is really important you see this, all the joy that you see taking place in chapter 1 is contingent upon the baby that is in Mary's womb. It's not anywhere else. It's all leaning upon this baby that's with, with Mary, right? And so now I want to pull out of chapter 1, and I want to head into the next stop, into chapter 2. Are you guys ready? Where's our train whistle, guys? Asher, you're up, buddy. There we go, all right, chapter 2, all right, we're pulling out of chapter 1, chapter 2, Luke chapter 2, verse 10, 
Right? This is amazing. The angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. All right? Now, this is very familiar lingo. You've heard Linus say it, right? You've watched the specials. You've, we've read it this morning already. It's very familiar. We know about these shepherds, right? But let's stay here for a moment and see something wonderful in chapter 2 at our next stop. The word joy is found all over the Bible. In fact, you can see the word joy in its derivative over 200 times in the Bible. It's somewhat common. But what is uncommon that we see here is great joy. When the word joy is described by the word great in the Bible, there's always something really special going on. So I want to take you back to the first time you see great joy in the Bible. And to do that, it's during the highest time of the United Kingdom of Israel. At the anointing ceremony of David's son Solomon, we read this in 1 Kings chapter 1, verse 39 and 40. There, Zadok, the priest, took the horn of oil and from the tent of and, and, and from the tent, and anointed Solomon. Then they blew the trumpet, and all the people said, Long live King Solomon! And all the people went up after him, playing on pipes and rejoicing with great joy, so that the earth was split by their noise. There was so much joy that the sound was earth-splitting. I don't know what that is. That's a lot. I've heard of ear splitting, but this is earth splitting type of sound. That's quite a bit of joy that's happening. So there's great joy when the new king was anointed. It was a very special time. The next time you see that phrase great joy in the Bible, you go to 2 Chronicles chapter 30, verse 26. So there was great joy in Jerusalem. For since the time of Solomon, the son of David, king of Israel, there had been nothing like this in all of Jerusalem. So why was there great joy in Jerusalem? What's going on? You know, there was great joy then, but now there's great joy. And between now and then, there's never been great joy until, well, what happened? What is the author referring to? What was the cause for such a great celebration? Well, this is it. Get this. It's amazing. It was the reinstitution of the Passover ceremony that had been neglected for generations. There was an invitation that went out in all directions to come and to celebrate a ceremony that would represent the atonement for sins, sins being covered or sins being taken away. And so in 2 Chronicles 30 verse 9 it says this, The Lord your God is gracious and merciful, and he will not turn his face away from you if you return to him. Just come back to me is what God is saying. And so some heard that invitation and some came and some didn't. But those that actually came, we read about them. And it says this, they slaughtered the Passover lamb. They slaughtered the lamb that would represent, represent their sins being atoned for and covered on the 14th day of the second month. And shortly after that, Hezekiah prays and he says, May the God or may the good Lord pardon everyone who sets his heart to seek after God. And God bless those who sought after him with their full hearts to the point where we read this there was great joy in Jerusalem. So let's put these two things together. There was great joy when the newly crowned king was anointed. And now there's great joy because sins have been symbolically taken away 
by a Passover lamb. And if you fast forward to the only other time you see this in the Old Testament, you'll get to a point where the Israelites were back in the land after being carted off into exile. And we will see that they're in the land, but the walls of the city are broken down and it left them very vulnerable to attack. And they get to work on restoring the walls and they finally finish after 52 days. And then we read this in Nehemiah. And they offered great sacrifices that day and rejoiced. For God had made them rejoice with great joy. The women and the children also rejoiced. And the joy of Jerusalem was heard far away. Look at all that joy. Joy is plentiful. Look at all this. Why? Because walls were not just a symbol of protection. They actually provided protection. If you were inside the walls during a time of attack, you were in a safe place. And that resulted in great joy. So now, let's take all those occurrences of great joy and put them together. Let's see what we have. We have a newly crowned king. We have sin symbolically taken away. And we have walls that can provide protection to anyone who is inside them. And you know, the next time you see great joy in the Bible, it's in Luke chapter 2 when the angels say, And the angels said to him, Fear not. Behold, I bring you news of great joy that will be for all the people. With the birth of Jesus, great joy is made available to all people. Jesus was the newly born king that would provide atonement for sins and provide protection for those who are found inside of his protective hands. There is something uniquely special about Jesus and redemptive history was unfolding right before the shepherd's eyes. And it's interesting because the next time you see great joy in the Bible, it's at chapter 24 of Luke. We'll get to that in a second. That's going to be our last stop. But for right now, let's journey towards lasting joy at our next stop in chapter 6. Can I get my train whistler to go? There we go. All right. Chapter 6. We're off and running halfway through. When we get off at this station, if you listen carefully you can hear a traveling rabbi teaching and causing a great crowd to marvel at his words. People are marveling because they just heard Jesus of Nazareth just announce a head-scratcher of a teaching because this is what comes out of Jesus' mouth. He says this in chapter 6, Blessed are you when people hate you, and when they exclude you and revile you and spurn your name as evil on account of the Son of Man. Rejoice in that day and leap for joy. For behold, your reward is great in heaven. Like, what? When you get off the station here and you hear those words, like, what? (laughs) Be hated, excluded, reviled, spurned. And while that's happening, why don't you start jumping up and down for joy? What? What is this rabbi talking about? Are you kidding me? What could possibly compel any of us to do that? Well, Jesus says that if these things happen to you on account of the Son of Man, that people should leap for joy. Jesus, when we get off at this station, has the guts to say, Look, if you are associated with me, 
then you can let others do whatever they want to to your reputation or even your physical body because all you really need you have in your association with me. That's what Jesus is saying here. He says, look, your personal comfort isn't your king. I am your king. Your association with the religious elites can't atone for your sin. I am the one who atones for your sin. Your futile attempts to insulate your life from all that threatens your temporal safety can't actually keep you safe. I am your safety. I am the one that the prophet Isaiah spoke of when he said, Fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name, and you are mine. When you pass through the waters, I'll be with you. And through the rivers, they shall not overwhelm you. When you walk through the fire, you shall not be burned. And when the flames shall not consume you. For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. Jesus says, look, I'm like a thick, impenetrable wall of protection surrounding you. And so since this is the case, why don't you go ahead and leap for joy? Chapter 6. Next stop is chapter 8. <laughs> there we go. Here at this stop, we hear Jesus of Nazareth teaching again. And this is one of his famous messages, famous messages about seed being sown by a sower and the different landing spots that that sown seed has fallen upon. And three of the four landing spots produce no long-term growth, and therefore it's not the right type of soil to expect a plentiful harvest from. And Jesus isn't talking about potatoes and tomatoes here. He's talking about his actual words that are coming out of his mouth and being planted in the hearts of those who are listening. The listeners' hearts in chapter 8 are on trial. Which one will actually produce? And we see the word joy here in verse 13. As Jesus begins to provide an interpretation to his parable, he says that seed was sown that fell on a rock, or as Matthew states it, on rocky ground. Look at verse 8, or chapter 8, verse 13. And the ones on the rock, so the seed that was sown and fell on the rock, or the rocky soil, are those who, when they hear the word, receive it with joy. But, but, they have no root. And they believe for a while and in a time of testing, they fall away. So once the reviling comes, once the spurning comes, it's like, I, I don't want anything to do. I don't want any association with him. Right? So here we see the word joy, but the word immediately following that word joy is the word but. And you've heard this before. The word but has a tremendous tendency to negate everything that precedes it. So at this stop, I think we're meant to see this. There is a way to receive the message of Jesus with joy, but still be guilty of having a hard heart. Some of you here today, some of you listening online, might be thrilled to hear about all that Jesus can be for you. However, your thrill of Jesus has never translated into active obedience to all that Jesus, the rabbi, actually teaches we looked at this last week. If you love me, what? Comma, keep my commandments. What needs to be gleaned by us from this stop is don't just be thrilled with the prospect of what Jesus offers. Actually take him up on the offer. 
And be diligent to allow Him to disciple you daily, no matter what the cost. Do what He says. And as we pull out of chapter 8 and the stop, and we pull into the next station, that's exactly what you see His initial disciples doing. They don't have temporary joy. Their joy is lasting joy because they actually do what He says. Next stop is chapter 10. The context is this. The disciples are equipped and appointed by Jesus to go on a short-term missions trip. They pair up two by two, and they go out in any and every surrounding town, and they announce this message. The kingdom of God has come near you. The 72 go out, and in verse 17 we read this, our next time that we see joy in Luke's gospel. And the 72 returned with joy, saying, Lord, demons are subject to us in your name. These guys come back pumped up. They return with joy. They are amazed at the kingdom's power over the demonic world. And they're pretty impressed by it. But every moment in the life of a disciple of Jesus is a teaching moment, even the mountaintop ones. And so Rabbi Jesus celebrates with them, but then he quickly centers their enthusiasm on a superior joy when he says to them, Nevertheless, do not rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. So what we need to see here is it's clear that lasting joy is not sourced in anything that's temporal, but only that which is eternal. Don't rejoice in the stuff that's happening here, even the power that you see. Only rejoice that your name is written in heaven. That's where your joy is found. And we're going to see the same thing at our next stop in chapter 15. Can I get my whistleblower to go? You're sleeping on the job. Wake everybody up. There we go, buddy. (laughs) Chapter 15, we're almost at In chapter 15, we're going to hear of a man who lost a hundred sheep. And he went after one lost one and he found it. And then Rabbi Jesus says in chapter 15, verse 7, I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. And just in case... Because so often we don't get it the first time. Jesus tells another story about a lost coin and a woman who then found the lost coin. And then we get the same punchline in verse 10. He says this, I tell you, there is joy before the angels of God over one sinner who repents. Eternity is at stake. And not just eternity, eternal joy And so now I want to approach our last stop and notice a final thing and then define joy and then ask the question as to whether or not who in the room has it. Last stop of the day, chapter 24. At this final stop, can we give it up for our whistleblowers here? At this final stop, you're going to see the word joy twice. This is after Jesus was betrayed and tried and crucified and died. This is after he was laid in a sealed tomb for three days only to await his glorious resurrection on that first Easter morning. After all of that, 
he appears in a room with his gathered disciples and says to them in verse 36, Peace to you. But they were startled and frightened, and they thought they saw a spirit. And he said to them, Why are you troubled? And why do doubts arise in your heart? See my hands. See my feet. That it is I myself. Touch me and see. For a spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see that I have. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet that had holes in them. And while they still disbelieved for joy and were marveling, he said to them, have you anything to eat? (laughs) I love this. I love this. He's like, where's the food at? Like, I'm hungry. Been busy. But here it is, the word joy. They disbelieved for joy. Have you ever been so elated with something that you just couldn't believe what your eyes were seeing? This is like jaw-dropping joy. You're like, I can't believe this. This is the experience of the disciples. This is their, I can't believe this is actually half, this is almost too good to be true. He's alive. They disbelieve for joy. And so he says, why don't you you come touch, right? So they start touching him per his request. And there was no need to be pinched in order to wake up from some dreamlike state. It was so amazing that they disbelieved for joy. They're like, I can't, believe, I can't believe this is happening. But they were filled with joy while even in their disbelief and their doubt. And like, couldn't believe it, right? And after the shock wears off, Jesus informs them with these words. We're going to get the last time that we see the word joy in the Gospel of Luke. He says this, you are my witnesses of these things, these things, these things, these things, raising out of the tomb, these things, me being hungry, all these things, I have a body. And behold, I am sending you the promise of my Father upon you, but stay in the city until you're clothed with power from on high. That's the Holy Spirit and the coming of Him at Pentecost. Then Luke finishes his gospel with these words, And he led them out as far as Bethany. And lifting up his hands, he blessed them. And while he blessed them, he parted from them and was carried up into heaven. And they worshipped him and they returned to Jerusalem with great joy. And were continually in the temple blessing God. There we see it again, great joy. You'll see it one more time in the gospel or in the account of Acts when the Gentiles were included. There was great joy. That's the only time you're ever going to see great joy. We just surveyed all of the Bible. End of train ride from chapter 1 to chapter 24. Every time you see the word joy, we just talked about it. So here's the question. What is joy? And how do we know if we have it? The reason I took time to unpack the Gospel of Luke and to see every occurrence of joy is to get us to answer this question. All of this leads us to this one ultimate conclusive conclusion. Our lasting joy is not found in anything temporal. Joy can't be found in all of relationships, every relationship working out just right, just the way you want it to, because what if it doesn't? then that experience of temporary joy will just slip through your fingers. 
The source of your joy can't be, I hope I get all the Christmas presents on my list, kids. Right? The source of your joy can't be tied to situations and circumstances or things that we can accumulate here. Because why? There's too much that could go wrong here. Things are just too volatile in our world. It could all just be pulled out from underneath us. So now we're at the end of our journey towards lasting joy in the Gospel of Luke. And what I want to point out to you is that every time we have seen the word joy in Luke's Gospel, it is inextricably connected to the good news of the Gospel of Jesus Christ. From Zechariah to John the Baptist to Mary, to the shepherds, to those listening to the Sermon on the Mount, to those listening to the parable of the sower and the seeds, to the 72 sent out on mission, to the angels and the inhabitants of heaven rejoicing, to the disciples commissioned in the very last two verses of the narrative. All of them, every occurrence, centers around and is completely leaning upon the experience of the saving power of Jesus Christ. So we're at the end of our journey through the Gospel of Luke and we have conclusively determined that if you aren't organically connected to Jesus Christ, there will be no experience of lasting joy for you. Because joy is that feeling you get when you realize that Jesus is your King who has taken away your sins and can protect you until His kingdom comes in its fullness. That's what joy is. That's the only thing it is. So the question is, who in the room or who online is connected? Coming out of the Gospel of Luke and barring from John for a moment, Jesus says this, I am the vine, you're the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him he is the one that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do what? Nothing. No joy. And Jesus says this, These things I have spoken to you. Why? So that my joy may be in you. And that your joy might be full. So listen. If you have not repented... If you have not turned from your sin and accepted the free gift of His salvation and crossed over from death to life, then there is no joy for you. I can't give you anything that will produce joy in your life that will be lasting unless you respond to this message. Then your joy could be full. Why wouldn't you take it? If you aren't hidden in Him, when the judgment of God Almighty comes around, you will not experience any sort of lasting joy. You will just experience the torment of His wrath. Why would you want that when joy is being offered so freely? And I hope that that is not the case for anyone listening here today. And knowing that it isn't the case for probably most in the room, not all of you, but for most of you, like, yes, I have turned. I, I, I don't have anything to offer. I need Him. Most of you in the room are probably like that, but not everybody. 
I, I, I'm hoping everybody will respond to that in some way today, now. Even as we go to this last, thing, this last song. But as it is the case for most of us in this room, this is what I say to you. Listen to these words. Joy to the world. The Lord has come. Let earth receive her king. Let every heart, every heart prepare him room. Come, come abide here. Joy to the earth. Why? Because the Savior reigns. And songs need to be employed and to be joyfully and repeatedly sung over and over because He has saved us from the penalty of our sins. Joyful songs need to be sung because He has come to make His blessings flow as far as the curse is found and the curse is found in all of our hearts here. But He can rule there with His wondrous love and not just our hearts, but He also rules the world with truth and grace and He will make the inhabitants of every nation prove the glories of His righteousness and the wonders of His love when He comes to judge the world with equity. So lasting joy is possessed by us when we are found in Christ and in Christ alone. So who's found in Him? Let's pray. In choir, you can make your way up on stage and worship team as we close with one final song. Lord, we recognize that lasting joy is possessed by us when we are found in Christ and in Christ alone. There is no other place that we can find this joy. And many songs have been written over the ages that talk about joy. And many of us sing them year after year, but we've become callous to its truth. Or maybe we've never accepted it so that we sing it, but we feel hypocritical because we have no joy. And we think that joy is some sort of happiness. It's not Joy is that feeling you get when you realize that Jesus is your King who has taken away your sins and can protect us until your kingdom comes in its fullness and that nothing can come against us that hasn't been outside of your intended will for our lives to fashion us into your likeness. God, we desperately want to be people that are marked with serious joy. And so God, I pray that you would help those in the room that say, yeah, I've heard it. But I don't feel like I experience it. God, right now in this moment, would you work? God, I pray that they would feel maybe a lump in their throat or something in their heart. Maybe it's an elevated heart rate, whatever it is, God. God, Speak to that person, these people here, God, I beg of you that their experience can be the experience of lasting joy like many in the room already have. And God, as we close out our time by singing just this beloved carol about your joy, I pray that you'd receive it and that you'd be honored and glorified by our efforts to bring you praise because you are our source of lasting joy. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.